Hello and welcome to the COSIN podcast. I'm your host, Ross Romano, and we have a great show today. We're going to be discussing findings from the recent Student Home Connectivity Study, which was released by COSIN and was made possible with support by the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. There were 13 school districts, which enroll a total of 750,000 students that participated in this breakthrough study, which provided a significant data set to allow COSIN to present evidence-based advice to districts and also to inform policymakers. And so with us today, we have Dr. Tom Ryan, who chairs the Educator Advisory Committee that worked on the report. And he also is the Chief Innovation and Strategy Officer at the Santa Fe New Mexico Public Schools and a COSIN board member. So Tom, thanks for being here to share your insights. Ross, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, with that, let's kind of get right into it here. And, and you know, one of the findings that I found surprising, which maybe shouldn't have been, but is that 85% or more than 85% of the network traffic in the, in the surveys data set was used for video. And of course, we all know that there's been a lot of Zoom and Google Meet and other video conferencing used for instruction over this pandemic period, but 85% is still a lot uh, when you think about how many other technology tools are in use. And the thing about that is that not only does this require reliable Wi-Fi speeds, which we know, you know, is, is a challenge as far as digital equity is concerned, but it also relates to another one of the reports uh, for key findings about the importance of device quality and the fact that many devices that were initially purchased for use in class, even in a one-to-one -one district, uh, weren't selected particularly for video in mind, because they're being used in the classroom, maybe they're used independently for homework, um, but not for you know, certainly video conferencing. What I wanted to kind of ask is one, I mean, on your end, did you find that the sheer like high percentage of the traffic being used for video to be surprising or did it kind of align with what you were expecting? And also, I mean, do you think this trend is going to continue as we have more hybrid learning modalities, maybe districts that are going to allow students and parents to opt into more online learning options, or are districts going to maybe look for ways to decrease the expectations of how much video has to be used given some of the challenges? Well, you you packed like, you know, 50 questions <laughs> all in there, Russ. I'll try to, try to pull that. So the first was, uh, was I surprised by the the percentage of video use? And I uh, actually no, and mainly because I I'm involved with the schools and the teachers, et cetera. And and I think when we had to make the quick shift to uh, online, we did not have a network of that was robust enough nationally to handle that. We didn't have all the teacher professional development. We had an adoption of tools that were system-wide, maybe teacher-specific, but parents want to be able to log in one place and get to all their educational resources. So pulling those in, teachers defaulted to what would be the lowest technology skill, uh, which is a video conference. So right. I, can, I can teach or demonstrate or talk or lecture through video synchronously, but I can't necessarily do that with all the different apps and the kids don't didn't have all those apps. So they didn't know. So there's a lot of complexity into something that we were trying to stand up because by Friday we're going into lockdown. Mm -hmm. uh, this, the second thing I think you, you talked about, do you see this trend continuing? And I, I guess that's, a, it depends on what the district wants to do. We made a huge jump 
into the use of digital tools. And by the way, short story, I was a sub in a fourth grade classroom for the first, for two weeks, because we were waiting for our teachers to get enough vaccinated so they come back mm -hmm. uh, in the class. So I volunteered to be in a class. Well, actually I didn't want my, I didn't want my network security people and all those others being in there. My department had to cover some, so I chose. And in that four weeks, um, really got a good look at students. I, I was in the class, the teacher was online and I had 20 kids in that classroom that were engaging with the teacher and to some extent with me. And those kids were on a synchronous video and she's talking about a, a book that they had read, which is on a different application that they were referring back to. And they had to fill out a Google doc mm -hmm. on questions that they, the teacher had presented to them and they, they would fill this out, which created a journal. And these kids were logging in, having some problems getting connected, then having some quick fixes that they did on their own to get them back in. Maybe, maybe they had to shut down and re-log in again. They, had, they got into the different applications. They're shifting seamlessly between all of these things. And I'm thinking these fourth graders have skills that in 2019, they never, they never had. I, and my mm -hmm. two daughters are, are teachers. And they talked about 2019, they had that, here's how you log in. Here's how you get into class. Here's where you go next. They don't have to do that anymore. That, that's all done. So the reason I bring that up is if we want to continue and transform the district, because let's face it, we weren't happy with the way things were when in 2019, we were looking right. at change and we had all of this growth with, with students and parents of teachers and the use of these tools. I would expect this to be the front end of a curve on network use for those school, school districts that wanna be able to offer a much more personalized instructional program for kids. And then there's going to be others that say, I just want to go back to the way it was because I feel comfortable there. Well, maybe they won't have. Maybe, maybe there'll be an initial, let's get rid of the screen time. But then the teachers and the parents and the kids are going to say, wait a minute, there were some really good things here and I want to go back. So I think we might see a little bit of a try to get back to the way it was, but I don't think that'll be sustainable because people have found some great use of, the, of these tools that they'll be able to incorporate in class. Right. Yeah, there's definitely been, I think, a lot more awareness among families and parents and more information about the different types of learning that are available, the different types of learning that might be best for their child or that their child might prefer, or at least to do more than one thing, <laughs> that it's not just either or, and that a lot of, even though the majority of Americans this past year, year and a half has been their first real exposure in, in any meaningful way to a lot of online learning um, that for 20 years or so there has been some form of online learning happening and those capabilities have existed but not necessarily been implemented at scale uh, particularly in k-12 um, but certainly there also are i think there's the technology consideration right which there were some districts that had a lot of infrastructure in place others that didn't um, and some of those things are still being worked through. And then it's also interesting to think about how uh, with the, the equity conversation, which encompasses digital equity, in addition to other factors, um, you know, how a lot of these things connect together. And I think one of the things that has been hard for a lot of schools to figure out 
in real time as things have gone is the question of, okay, uh, what about households with multiple students, right? We have, I think the study found that about 70% of students shared a household with at least another you know, student, so a sibling or somebody else who lived with them. And I think in a lot of these cases with instructional planning, there has been even really good plans in place that work really well for here's how we can structure synchronous learning. Here's how we can engage parents and have them support it and so on. But once we get to two, three or more kids in the household, once we get to mom and or dad are also working at home, these plans get really difficult to hold up, not just because of Wi-Fi, but the bandwidth issues are a huge thing here. And I think the study showed that the minimum FCC household guidelines don't even really cover the needs of one remote learner uh, who's learning full-time, let alone more than one. And something that I found really interesting about this is that, of course, this is a, a digital divide issue uh, a lot of the time, but in this case, even almost half of the students that were from higher socioeconomic status areas really didn't have an adequate home set up either so it's it is an equity consideration it's also a conversation about the future of learning and what is school going to be like what do we want it to be like what kind of choice and options do we want schools and students and families to have uh, when you think about what you kind of found as far as how few households really overall um, among the, the the districts that you were able to look at how few households had the necessary internet setup um, to participate effectively in, in remote learning. What stood out the most to you as the things that we really need to be focused on and then kind of taking action on? Yeah, that's a great question. When we were first starting, we were thinking that we would come up with a household recommendation and, and um, I don't think anybody, regardless of whether they had kids in school or not, um, had enough internet because it was built on what they needed at 2019 and before. And now all of a sudden, all of your work, your shopping, your healthcare being done online. So I think people tried to upgrade their internet just because that was their main vehicle to communicate. So, some of the surprising things is it, it, it isn't only the internet speed and even the internet speeds. I think the FCC is currently at uh, 25 download and, and 12 upload. When you go and buy a, a internet plan that provides that, say you're the only one user in the house and that was me and I'm gonna, I'm gonna use this, and I buy a plan from whatever provider, 2512 would be the max that I would get. It's not what I always get. So mm -hmm. in heavier times of the day, I don't really get that much. If I'm doing it from a cell phone or a cellular connection, it depends on whether I have antenna for the providers that I'm using in my area. We, we see that the age of the router that's in the house may be several years old. So you're not even getting full capacity of the bandwidth you already have available. You had mentioned earlier that the quality of the device, the Chromebooks that schools bought were perfectly fine in school, but when you're at home, the type of an antenna that you have, the amount of RAM that's available on the device, the processor speed, all impact its ability to take the, those data that come in and do something with it. So that slows down your internet connection. And then the filters that a school by law has to, to make sure that kids aren't getting into things that are inappropriate. Those also take some of that, that bandwidth. So pretty soon 
this bandwidth that you needed for teaching and learning just isn't there for even that one user. And that's why COSIN uh, report said 25 down, 12 up because of the synchronous video requires a much more upload speed per individual because the differences in a household change. We found that even the high school kids, there's four and five people that are connecting to our, our educational resources from that one house because they had good internet, so they brought their friends over. Now right. four or five people are doing it there. And then our, our homes that uh, um, have more affluence tend to have a lot more internet of thing devices, mm -hmm. whether they're video security or a variety of other things that are going to attach that internet, Netflix, and, and maybe some of your, your uh, programming for entertainment all come through that same connection. So it starts to get bogged down real quickly. So we, we, we started to see that if we're really looking at equity, the equity is based on the individual using it, the type of device that they have as big important considerations if we're gonna deliver them a good teaching and learning environment. Because if you're buffering all the time or you keep getting kicked out of an application, especially when you think you've got your synchronous video and whatever Google application or what other productivity suite you're using and the, the book or the instructional material and probably a several browser windows as you look up things and, and research, not to mention the kids might be communicating back and forth with each okay. other. You're not gonna have a good experience. You're certainly not gonna have an equitable experience when, when children just don't have those resources available to them 24 seven. Right, yeah, I think that's, um, that's definitely so. And there were, of course, a lot of other things that this, report uncovered when you think about the rest of the findings based on your experience and perhaps what you what you expected to find what you surveyed in the data was there anything else or anything you know overall that either did stand out as a surprise to you or if not necessarily surprising anything that given access to this data set you were able to really demonstrate that you weren't sure going in you'd you know, be able to show it as clearly as you ended up being able to? Well, besides the things that we talked about, so mm -hmm. the, the device, the type of internet connection, the filters and the other things that for, for internet, I was surprised at how mobile the kids were during a, a pandemic. They're not supposed to be out, but they're, they are. They're, they're visiting family or right. they're visiting friends. So we were able to use this data to see how kids were connecting, where they were connecting from. And we used to have this concept of school as being a noun, a place or a thing. And now school just became a verb. It was an action. It was school becomes where you are and it, it could be much more personalized. And we were able to see that teachers were able to do some amazing things um, to engage their, their students and as well as principals. And, and I had principals coming back. I don't know what we're gonna, I don't know about how things are going to look next fall, but we're going to, whether we're face-to-face -face or not, we're still going to have parent nights online because we got more participation. Our board meetings had more participation from the mm -hmm. public when we offered a venue that didn't force them to leave. It made it more convenient for them. So I think we're going to start to see a much more personalized or an opportunity to take and say, Ross needs this, and he needs this at these times, and we should provide that option. Or Ross wants to be take 
two or three of their classes face-to-face, but two or three classes in, in his high school at home because he doesn't need the, the resources. So I think it's opened our eyes to that school can be different. We just choose not to make it different. The, the things that were stopping us no longer are these big concrete barriers, but maybe paper barriers that we could break through if we choose to, as long as we can get past this, this comfort zone. The other thing is it allowed me, instead of saying that I have, here's a hotspot, your, your internet's connect, or your connection is now fine, I've solved that problem. We're starting to see that it's probably a multi-pronged attack that the school district needs to do. Some kids are gonna need, and, and, and they have to do that by data. So it may be that a, a, a hotspot is enough. It may be that we need to do a public-private partnership to connect. It may be that we need to do some intergovernment agency thing mm-hmm. to connect. And being, being able to look at not only the internet, but the type of device so that you're really giving the kid an equitable opportunity to learn as opposed to fix that, go on to something else. And I think a lot of us were so overwhelmed with trying to get all the devices and all of our business people into a secure connection so they could continue to do business. And we're running around, we just said, here's the solution to that, get to the next thing. Now we have an opportunity to much more strategically look at what skills do teachers need? What types of systems do we need to place to make sure that our systems can connect the data from various siloed applications and bring that together so we really can operate on data. That was the the best thing about this is I actually had data. I knew every single kid. We often send a survey out and the survey is filled out by people that understand the survey enough and who have the time and they may not be the kids that are struggling the most. But I had hard data on every one of those of those connections. And I was able to target a, a solution to that, to this that wasn't just here's a Chrome, here's a Chromebook and here's a hotspot and you're you're good to go. Yeah. And and I think you've already kind of touched on this a, a lot, because a lot of it as far as when we think of okay, what are the we know we have the information in front of us, we have the findings, what do we do about it? And there's things that within school districts districts really have the, the power within their control to be able to do other things that have to go to a policy level or maybe out to the communities. Um, and I think that there are certain things that are just kind of being open to the data and some of that's quantitative data, like what was used in this study. Some of it is the qualitative data from things like, okay, because of the realities of the pandemic, we had to do parent-teacher conferences remotely, and you know what? We had way more parents participating. We had much better dialogue between students and their parents about their learning because of the way we were able to set it up in ways that we didn't have those constraints that we usually have, and we're going to continue doing that. So some of that is um, just openness to continuing to do things that did work, that it's it's fine that it wasn't planned this way, right? Because some of these things are going to be good. Um, but what are you know what are some of the other actions um, that are, are completely you know as as much as possible within the district's power to be able to make some of these decisions and and do what they can to uh, reverse some of the the inequity trends. 
so there's a there's a variety of things and some of the federal fun funding the uh, connectivity act and the broadband act are going to help a, a great deal with that one thing that a school district can do is look at the contracts that they have with the providers and then monitor those contracts because now i can tell what their average bandwidth speed is not what i was told they would be but not having throttling uh, right. after they unlimited internet, but it could slow down after a few days of, of synchronous. Right. So you can negotiate contracts, you can monitor contract or your internet providers based on the data that you're pulling in to see are, are they actually getting that or, or are they in a location that that provider just can't provide the bandwidth that that's necessary. I think there are some policy questions about that you can take to the legislature about the need to connect your community and different parts of the country and rural and urban, suburban have different challenges with their infrastructure. And typically our poorest families have the least infrastructure and they're the least profitable for companies to invest a lot into connecting. So how do we get together with our local governments to uh, and, and business community to decide how do we get these kids connected? How do we make sure everybody gets connected? Because it's not only education, it's healthcare and all these other services that we can provide. I think we also need to look academically at our instructional design. You don't need to have synchronous video to deliver instruction. You, you could take a 15 minute module that you recorded that say, this is how you do this, this is what you look at. And then the kids can download that and look at that without having interruption, but a synchronous video, well, that requires speed both ways. And so that's a challenge. I think teachers need to have any teacher that has board inter, poor internet means that all of their students have poor internet. So how do we make sure that our teachers have the tools necessary? And I think there's a challenge for us, uh, a quick example, uh, we started looking at policies that we have about staff that work in district or at whatever. And we, had, we have a large Spanish speaking population. And so we recruited teachers from Spain and from the Philippines that, that came in to New Mexico and were teaching, but when the pandemic hit, they went back to their home countries and they were kind of stuck. Right. Um, but they could still deliver online learning. And then when we found out about it, it was like, well, what are we going to do again? This is against our policy. So we're starting to look at, well, maybe it's time for us to rethink this. It doesn't make sense in this uh, digital world. Maybe we need to redefine what attendance and engagement are and how do we measure that active engagement as opposed to just this seat time model. So it's these, these superintendents and school districts that have teams that are ready to take a look at, could we do something different, something better, are going to have an opportunity to explore things that they might've had blinders on before because why would you consider those? So I think there's a way for us to move forward recognizing what we have right now as we build towards providing greater internet, better devices, and a more professional development to teachers in how we do school. That's going to be a big benefit from just this early start, which was just how do we connect kids at home? Yeah, one of the things that I have found particularly inspiring, I would say over the course of the past several months, being able to have conversations like this with folks at all and all types of positions and roles across school districts is the solutions oriented mindset of just how honestly matter of fact it is in a lot of cases to say, okay, we went to remote learning and students 
a lot of students didn't have Wi-Fi connectivity at home, so we figured out a way to get them mobile hotspots. We figured out how to get Chromebooks for everybody or whatever the case may be. And then this is in districts large and small, urban, rural, whatever, that it's just that mentality of that it, it was, there wasn't a second thought, right? <laughs> Among a lot of educators and, and leaders in these districts, um, things that are uh, big challenging problems that in a lot of corners of society, we're not really sure how to wrap our heads around it, and, and, but really there's been a lot of action in, in addressing those things. And, and fortunately, a lot of the action and a lot of the way some of the funding is set up now is designed not just to be the kind of crisis control of what's been happening over the past year, but hopefully really to facilitate that looking ahead, that planning, and really continuing some of these effective practices moving forward, which I think is a reason for a lot of optimism that we, we can carry some of the effective practices forward. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you, you know, touch on? I, there, I know that the report also includes some recommendations that would need to be addressed more at a policy level or others, you know, more broadly in the communities that, that are not strictly within the purview of school districts right now. Is there anything else there worth touching on? Or, and we certainly will recommend people to go and read the full report to learn more, but I know there's, there's a lot more there. You know, maybe it's a little aside to the report, but this role of the, the technology lead in, in, in Santa Fe Public Schools, uh, we had a very close partnership with our teaching and learning folks. And, and perhaps some of the initial conversations were, well, why don't you do that? Because it's a technology thing. And we're pushing back and say, well, we don't have enough staff to do all of this stuff. But this isn't a technology thing. It's a just good teaching and learning thing in a digital environment. And so this creating strategic partnerships and when I say strategic, I don't mean curriculum instruction saying, oh, we need to do this. It's, we have this challenge, how do we meet it? Mm -hmm. And then pulling these bright minds that are in every single school district together to come up with how we might do that, as opposed to a siloed approach where somebody thinks that we need, here's, here's what I need and IT, go, go put that together. So moving the Moving the, the IT, the, and, and it may not be the CIO, but somebody that has an understanding of these digital tools and resources into a strategic at the beginning of the initiation of identifying the problem and coming up with solutions is critical in order to have a successful path going forward. And then I, the second thing is being able to, to redefine different types of solutions and not go back to the same it, such as let's just give them a hotspot. That doesn't really solve the problem. In fact, it may make the problem worse. And so how do we look at the data that we have to make intelligent decisions that are going to really allow teachers and learners the opportunities they need? Uh, and, and, a, and a special thanks to all the IT people across the country that have probably worked five years in the last 12 months to stand up all of these resources and, and taking on some pretty immense uh, problems. I know there's a, a lot of folks out there that are pretty exhausted in, in standing this up and working that whole time. And the tech people that were out there passing devices out to people and fixing those, uh, they're, they're really frontline workers. So this report gives you the data to make decisions about the future 
and it and it says we should be at the table to help make those decisions because we can make it happen. Right. Well, I think you've captured a whole lot here. So thank you again to Dr. Tom Ryan for joining the COSIN podcast. And thanks to all of our listeners. And there still is a lot more in the student home connectivity study. So you can head to COSIN.org forward slash digital equity to find the full report. And there's also a lot more resources there. And uh, make sure to subscribe to the COSIN podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or your preferred app. And if you are one of our listeners enjoying on an Apple device, we hope you'll consider giving us a five-star rating so you can help other education technology leaders find the show. And we hope in the coming weeks to be sharing a lot more valuable information like this. So thank you again so much, Tom. Thank you for listening to this episode of the COSIN Podcast, produced in partnership with MindRocket Media Group. Visit mindrocketmediagroup.com to connect with our expert team and learn how you can support your education industry, communications, and marketing goals. And to make sure you never miss an episode of the podcast, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. You can also listen to each new episode on edcircuit.com or cosin.org.